0: While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water or baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. If you're new here, my name is Justin Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at New Heights Church, and we love the Bible here so much that we preach it verse by verse, book by book, line upon line, precept upon precept. We just love God's word because his word is going to speak to you much better than anything I can tell you. And we are in the book of Acts right now. We're in Acts chapter 10. In fact, this is our third week in Acts chapter 10. We are rounding third and heading home and we're going we're gonna, to uh, have a conclusion today. We're looking at verses 44 through 48. Now, a Sunday school class was teaching all the kids the familiar creed that most of you grew up with called the Apostles' Creed. I guess it depends on what church you grew up in. But a lot of you, you would be familiar with the Apostles' Creed, right? It's often recited, it came from the Council of Nicaea, Uh, it's been tweaked a little bit over the years, but anyway, a Sunday school class thought all the kids should know the Apostles Creed. This should be something they, they need to memorize, at least the basics of it. And so the class was set up so that one student would stand up and give one section of it, and then he would sit down, and the next child would stand up and give the next section of it, and this would go on until they were done. So on the day they were supposed to take their test, a child stood up, he was a little boy, and he said, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He got it right, so he sat down. Then a little girl stood up and she said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And then she sat down, she got it right. And then there was a long, awkward silence. Nobody said anything. Finally, a little girl in the back uh, the room stood up and said, I'm sorry, mister, but the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is gone today. <laughs> now, I wonder if that couldn't be said of some people today. I wonder if that, that couldn't be said of some of our churches today. Um, the, the ones who believe in the Holy Spirit are, are absent today. Can that be said of some of our churches today? Because today, I want to talk about something that's really, really important. I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And we, we can't disconnect the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, with what God is doing in this book by bringing Jews and Gentiles together. They can't be disconnected, okay? Now, recap of the last two weeks. Peter, the Apostle Peter, has a vision, a vision of a great sheet coming down from heaven. And in it were a number of animals that the Jews thought were unclean, birds of the air, Uh, reptiles, pigs, and then all of a sudden a voice from heaven tells Peter kill and eat. And Peter responds by pretty much saying no way Jose, never done that, never will, not going to happen. And I don't, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the magnitude of what's happening here. You know, we just look at Peter and again think, oh dumb Peter. He's he's arguing with God again. But you got to remember for 1400 years they've avoided these animals because God told them they were unclean. So you know, Peter says, no way. God responds by saying, Peter, what I have cleansed, you are not to call unclean. And no doubt, Peter's probably pretty confused by this. He's trying to figure all of it out. When someone knocks at his door, Peter opens it, and there's standing Cornelius and a bunch of Gentile soldiers, and they say, look, uh, an angel told us to come and to talk to you. That's why we're here today. So again, none of this happens without God. He's placing people where they need to be at the exact right time and his children are being obedient to what God calls upon them. That's how God works. Isn't it amazing? It's not by accident that you're here. It's not by accident. You live in Fairfield or Westchester or Liberty Township or wherever you're at. It's not by accident. God's directed your steps. He's led you here. It's not by accident that you call New Heights Church your church. It's not by accident. God is ordaining your steps. He is planning and paving your way. That's pretty amazing, right? And when we're obedient to him, amazing things happen. Come on, I get excited. I'm gonna move this just a little. uh, I'm afraid I'm gonna back into this. There we go, a little better. All right, so God made it real clear to Peter right away. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes he calls us to do things and it's not clear right away. For Peter, it was pretty clear. While he's still thinking about all this, he's still pondering the meaning of the vision and he's sitting on the roof in Joppa, three Gentiles from Cornelius and Cornelius knock at his door. Now the fact that verse 16 says the vision about unclean animals happened three times and then verse 19 says three men, Gentile men, or at his door is no accident. God really wants Peter to get the message. People that you are formerly regarded as common and unclean and separated from your fellowship are not to be viewed that way anymore. Go with these men. And so for Peter, he finally gets it. The light comes on and uh, that's where we pick up. So he's, he's been preaching. And then when we come in, to verse 44, we see that the Holy Spirit interrupts his sermon. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Power is through the work of the Holy Spirit and not the work of man. Okay? Power is through the work of the Holy Spirit and not the work of man. Now, let's look at verse 44. Let's pick up so while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. I'm gonna stop real quick because this is a powerful statement. We pray for revival all the time, don't we? I grew up Pentecostal, Assemblies of God. I'm fifth generation Assemblies of God. We love the Holy Spirit in the Assemblies of God, but here, and we will constantly pray for revival, but the word gives us kind of a, a formula for kind of inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives. Look at this. When did the Holy Spirit fall? When they heard the word. We've got to be committed to the word. Go back and study every single revival and you'll see it all starts with God's word. If you want the Holy Spirit to move, you've got to be committed to his word. Amen? Verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So how many of you are able to recall some, some of those moments where you're a part of a spiritual experience that just proved to be one of the, a God moment? you know, you, where amazing things happen. You just saw the spirit of God move and you just kind of take a step back and come to this conclusion like, wow, God showed up today. There was no other explanation for what I, what I just saw besides God showed up. And I know a lot of us would, would probably have memories of maybe that happening in a church. And I, I love when that happens in the church. And we're going to pray that that happens in the church. But you know, you can have those Holy Spirit moments in Starbucks or on an airplane or in a classroom or, or wherever. You can have those moments where the Holy Spirit just shows up. Now, how many of you are able to say that? I, and, and here's the truth. I'm praying that this is the norm for each of us at New Heights Church, that, that anyone who says New Heights Church is their church would have these God moments, right? Where you just say, wow, God showed up. Because in our text today, this is one of those moments. So important that we take mental note of this too because I find it really interesting that God is using Peter and then all of a sudden he interrupts Peter in the middle of his sermon, he didn't even let him get to the invitation. And I think, it's, I think it's so that Peter couldn't take credit for it. And for us, it's to remind us, we can't take credit for the move of the Holy Spirit. And you think about Peter for a minute. I mean, the Bible describes him as a guy, well, with a little bit of an ego. I think that's why we all can relate to him so much. He's, the Bible does not hide the imperfections of Peter. It shows his humanity over and over and over again. He's kind of arrogant, he's a boisterous leader, and I think it's important that the Holy Spirit was not gonna let Peter take any credit. Not, not in this sermon, he's just not, you no, know, he, he interrupts in mid-sentence, mid-paragraph, and then the Holy Spirit moves. Now, in a modern-day context, it would be like people just start coming to the altar before the sermon ever ended because they're responding to what the Holy Spirit was doing in their life and not by what the preacher is saying. And man, when I say that out loud, it makes, makes me want to stop and pray that that happen. Can we do that? Father, I pray that that would happen in, in our community, in our, in our context, that the Holy Spirit would move so much that it would be something that we look at and say, man, that is God and only God. No man could have done that. Move in our lives, in our midst, in that way, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So a few things I want to focus on here and by the way, I've always loved this verse. I always loved it because it shows the simplicity of faith. There's no ceremony, no prayers even, uh, no coming forward or baptism uh, until the very end after all this has happened. It's just faith in the message, okay? Listen, conversion happens when you believe that Jesus has died for you and you embrace that as your own. Conversion happens when you believe that Jesus has died for you and you embrace that as your own. So this, this Sunday, what I need to do, and why I didn't preach on it last week is because I couldn't preach to you for an hour and a half. <laughs> I couldn't fit it in, but I really wanted to dedicate uh, an entire Sunday to these verses because we need to dive into the Holy Spirit here. And it's important that we lay a strong doctrinal foundation because this subject is a subject that in many places, unfortunately, it divides the church. I'm talking about something today that can be controversial. It was never meant to be controversial, but it can be. And we talked about it in Acts chapter 2, but here we are. That's why I love verse-by-verse preaching, because it's in the Bible again. And so we're going to talk about it again. Now, the truth is that in many places, you've got two extremes almost. All right? So some some churches, you're going to find people who they're pursuing the gift over the giver. That happens a lot. And because we're a Pentecostal church, the assemblies of God, it obviously probably happens more in Pentecostal churches than it does a non-Pentecostal church. You know, you find you just find people who want to chase, chase an experience. And and God does give experiences, by the way. <laughs> he does. And they're powerful. But sometimes people want the experience over the truth found in God's Word. And I'll tell you that there, there are some really exciting aspects of the Holy Spirit some really exciting things that take place when the Holy Spirit begins to move. And on the other side, the flip side of it, you've got people who are so afraid of the move of the Holy Spirit that they kind of just leave the Holy Spirit out of everything. They kind of ignore those parts of the Bible when they come on chapters that talk about the Holy Spirit. They don't really talk about the Holy Spirit from the pulpit because they're so afraid of what might happen. And I'll be really honest with you and transparent. When I first went into ministry, I didn't go in as a youth pastor or I didn't go in as a kids pastor. Right off the bat, 23 years old, I was put in as the lead pastor over a church in upstate New York. And I remember... uh, I said, I'm going to be an expository preacher. That means we go verse by verse, line by line. We go through books, of the Bible. And I was going through the book of Acts. And when I got to the Holy Spirit, I skipped it. Can I confess that to you? Is that okay? Yeah, I'm not going to skip it anymore, but I skipped it. And as a 23 year old, it wasn't that I didn't believe in it. I'm just being transparent with you. I was just afraid of people abusing it. So I took the extreme. I said, I'm just going to I'm just not gonna preach on the Holy Spirit because I'm so afraid of the abuse and things that'll happen. And you know what? You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's why I love God's word. And I have grown and matured. Thank you, Jesus. And so now we don't leave anything out when we preach because it's God's word. And if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. So Paul, Paul tells us that in the last days, there are gonna be people who have itching ears that will not endure sound doctrine. Now, I'm happy that's not the case here at New Heights Church, and I'm glad for that. We wanna know and experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We wanna experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we all need them. But it's important that we have a solid, scriptural, doctrinal base for all that's said and all that's done, okay? New Heights Church, let's, let's just, in case you're wondering, New Heights Church believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. I'm going to say it again. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Absolutely, 100% do. Now, there's two positions on the gifts that exist today. And we, we talked about this in, in chapter two, but I'm going to go over it again. One is called cessationism. And I, I went over and listened to my sermon so I wasn't too redundant. And you guys are so good. I kept saying sensationism over and over and over again. And you guys are good. Nobody even told me that's how good you are cessationism, not sensationalism, (laughs) teaches that certain supernatural miraculous gifts ceased around the turn of the first century after the Bible was completed in its writing. And then the other one is obviously the belief that that all the supernatural spiritual gifts continue until until this day. They have not ceased. So those are the two beliefs when it comes to gifts. Now, in order to talk about this, we need to look at 1 Corinthians, all right? So that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians because if those that believe the gifts have ceased and they're not for today, this is kind of their foundational passage. So we have to look at it today. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so we agree with the cessationists that we are there will come a time when certain spiritual gifts cease. We agree with that. For example, the gift of evangelism. You think you're going to need that in heaven? No, right? How many of you are evangelists? How many love sharing Jesus with lost people? It's my wife's gift. She is, she's got the gift of evangelism. But I hate to burst your bubble. When we get to heaven, the gift of evangelism is not going to be needed like it is now. We're not going to be hitting the streets of gold and handing out tracts. We won't do it. Because in heaven, nobody needs saved. Everybody already loves Jesus. So evangelism comes to an end. So, so those with the gift of evangelism are going to, to need to find something else to do, right? <laughs> like worship Jesus all day. Can't wait. So we agree. We agree that certain gifts will come to an end. Uh, another gift that's going to come to an end is the gift of healing, right? Because no sickness is going to be in heaven. Thank God, right? Yes. You won't, you won't need the gift of healing in heaven because there won't be any sickness, So we agree, yes, certain gifts will cease. Where we disagree with this view and we agree with uh, those that believe the gifts continue is when they cease, when they cease. So we believe that all the gifts continue until one very important transitionary moment in the history of the world, okay? Okay. Certain spiritual gifts we're not going to need. We're not going to need them in heaven. But but love continues. We see that in, our, in verse eight. And even when these gifts in love continues, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, that could be heavenly or earthly. I suppose the very least earthly, but they will what? They will cease. And again, again, they believe all of these gifts cease. When when does it cease though? When does when does tongues conclude? When is it over? Right. What's the expiration date on the box for tongues? When's it over? What, was it over in the first century, or is it, is it not over yet? What's the answer? Okay, well, let's read. Again, I wanna, we, we go to God's Word, the book the Holy Spirit wrote. And he said, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The cessationists then say, and the perfect is the perfect word of God. All right? So now that we have the perfect word of God, we don't need certain supernatural, miraculous spiritual gifts anymore. All right, so listen. New Heights Church, do we believe that the word of God is perfect? Absolutely. Yes, we do. I mean, of course we do. We love it. We preach it verse by verse. Uh, but, but the perfect being spoken of there is not the conclusion of the writing of the Bible. Because look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Well, who are we, who are we talking about? The perfect has a face. That's what's being said here. So, so the perfect has a face. Well, who are we talking about now? The perfect guy is Jesus. And if we're seeing him face to face, well, that means we're in heaven. Okay, that means we're in heaven. So when do these gifts cease? When When does Jesus come? When, when Jesus comes back, when we see him face to face, that's when the gifts cease. So we believe the cessationists, is, they're right, gifts, certain gifts will come to an end, but we believe they're wrong because the end has not yet come. And, and we believe that the gifts continue until we see him face to face until Jesus comes again, okay? So that's where New Heights Church is. That's where, what we believe so we do believe that the gift of tongues and all the gifts continue until this very day. That's what we believe. And it's absolutely important that you understand that. And in our text today, we need to understand that they're, that, that they're filling what the Holy Spirit was accomplished by the demonstration of spiritual gifts. That's what we're seeing in our text today. Filling with the Holy Spirit in the sense of in two senses today, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This was a filling with the Holy Spirit in two senses. Number one, in the sense that he indwells and abides in every believer. And number two, in the sense of a special empowering with gifts and graces from the Holy Spirit. All right? So to do this, I need to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because we've got a lot of people that are new to church, and not just new to church, but new to faith. Isn't that awesome? We have people in our church today that are new to the faith. Come on. That's awesome. So we've got people from all different walks. We've got some people who have been in church all their life and can easily tell me the doctrine of the Trinity. And we've got some in our church today that would say, what in the world? What's the Holy Spirit? Why do we? Why? why do you talk about the Holy Spirit? And then you talk about Jesus. Then you talk about God. So we've got to talk about the Trinity, right? We believe in one God, three persons. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists and three distinct persons the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I know, it's confusing. Or I could say it this way God is one in essence and three in person. And these definitions express three very, very crucial truths. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Number two, each person is fully God. Number three, there is only one God. Alright, so the Father the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Bible speaks of, of the Father as God. We see that in Philippians chapter one. And then it speaks as Jesus as God. We see that in Titus chapter two. And the Holy Spirit is God. We see that in Acts chapter five. So these aren't just three different ways of looking at God or simply ways of referring to three different roles that God God plays, because the Bible indicates that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. All right. One example of this is since the Father sent the Son into the world, we all know John 3.16, he cannot be the same person as the Son. Or, or also after the Son returned to the Father in John chapter 16, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. All right, We see that in John 14 and Acts 2. So important that you understand this. The Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. In the baptism of Jesus, we see the Father speaking from heaven and the Spirit descending from heaven in the form of a dove as Jesus comes out of the water. John 1.1 1, 1 affirms that Jesus is God, and at the same time that he was with God. That indicates that Jesus is a distinct person from God the Father. All right. In John chapter 16, we see that although there's a close unity between the three persons, the Holy Spirit is also distinct from the Father and the Son. The fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons means, in other words, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he's not the Son or the Father. They are different persons, not three different ways of looking at God. I know that's a (laughs) a mouthful. Okay, we are uh, Trinitarians. We believe there's one God, but that God is seen and manifested in three distinct persons. That's the Trinity. That's what we believe. As you read the Bible, you're going to see if you're brand new to the faith and you're jumping in the Gospels, really actually all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to read about the Spirit. You're going to read about the Father, and you're going to read about the Son. Now, in the Greek language, there are three prepositions that signify our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So when Jesus was talking to his disciples, the night on which he was portrayed in John chapter 14— He's really encouraging them. Why is he encouraging them? Well, because they're so depressed. They're discouraged out of their minds because Jesus had been telling them that he had to go. He's got to leave. And where he's going, they can't go, right? But they're going to be discouraged hearing that. And Jesus promised that he would pray that the Father would give them another comforter or the Spirit of truth and that he would abide in them forever. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit comes after us that the Holy Spirit comes inside us and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. All right, write that down. The Holy Spirit comes after us, the Holy Spirit comes inside us and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. All right, that statement describes the relational journey that the Holy Spirit takes in our relationship with him. So we believe in a threefold relationship between the Holy Spirit and the believer and, and, and they're represented by the three Greek prepositions para, en, and epi. And we're going to look at these today. So John chapter 14, 16 through 17, I want you to look at it real quick. And I know this is really teachy today, but we've got to understand this because you'll, once you understand it, you're going to understand why your pastor is so big on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why he thinks it's so important and crucial in your life. All right. So, oh, I jumped, I I jumped the gum, but we'll leave it. John chapter 14, 16 through 17, Jesus said this, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know for he dwells with you and will be in you. So when Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit, he says he dwells with you I'm a little lost here. That's okay. He dwells with you. That's the Greek preposition para, okay? It's a preposition that means to come alongside someone, either to comfort them, encourage them, or to convict them about something that they need to change. So we would call this the with relationship, all right? Now, we believe that the Holy Spirit is is with both Christians and non-Christians. Some of you might be surprised by that. Let me explain. First of all, he's with the Christian, as he comes alongside them to comfort them and encourage them in difficult times, right? But he's also, with the non-Christian, convicting them of their sins and convincing them that they need Jesus as their Savior to forgive them of their sins. So that's the with or the para relationship. Now, this might come to a surprise to a lot of you, but you had nothing to do with being saved, and some of you think, oh, what are you talking about? I I, I've, I, sought and pursued God. No, the Holy Spirit chased you. The Holy Spirit pursued you. You had nothing to, there was nothing inside of you that was drawn to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came after you. He pursued you. He gives you the gift of faith. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't even have the gift of faith. That's why some people call the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. I like it. Have you ever seen those old movies where the hound dogs go and chase the, the burglar or the criminal and they're on the scent and they don't stop till they, they, they get the person who stole whatever, whatever the movie. I love that because that's a perfect example of Jesus. He is on, or the Holy Spirit is on your trail. He chased you, he pursued you. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, he's chasing you down today as a part of that. He's gonna just chase you down till you finally give in and, and turn your life over to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So without the Holy Spirit, you couldn't even come to faith in Jesus. But, but in this verse that we just looked at, we also see another relationship between the Christian and the Holy Spirit, and that's the in relationship, the in. All right, in John 14, 17, Jesus says the Holy Spirit dwells with you. And he then adds, and will be in you. He will be in you. I think I could probably find this. All right. Dwells with you and will be in you. In you. All right. So that's the Greek preposition, "n." It speaks of coming inside or, or filling up. Now, I believe that when a person accepts Jesus as their savior and becomes a Christian, in that very moment, they're filled or they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 3.16. I'm all over the place, but you can just hang out with me. And if we, if we can't find it, we're just, we will give up, okay? Here we go. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God, what? Dwells in you. Likewise, in Romans 8 9, it says, you, however, are in the flesh, but in the, or you, however, are in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God, What? dwells in you. So this is what we call being filled with the Holy Spirit. The moment you become a born-again Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He now dwells inside of you. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is is living in you is a changed life. In Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul describes what the life of a non-Christian who's not filled with the Holy Spirit looks like And he mentions things like sexual immorality, drunkenness, partying, and violence. Then in contrast, it says in Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. The evidence is that the Holy Spirit's dwelling inside of us is he changes us. And that's the with relationship, where the Holy Spirit comes alongside us either to comfort us or to convict us. And then there's, the, or this is the in relationship. So there's the with and this is the in, where the Holy Spirit fills us and he changes us. But we here at New Heights Church, we believe there's a third relationship that a believer can have with the Holy Spirit. And that's the upon relationship. The upon relationship. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us. In fact, all of this is from Acts 1.8 where we started, right? But you, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the word upon is the Greek preposition epi. It can be, it can be translated over. In fact, one trans, translation renders it overflow. Additionally, the word power right here, comes from the Greek word dunamis. So, in dunamis, or, 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 yeah, yeah, comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means power, and this simply means ability. So it's more than just power, it means ability. Now, this is important, because think about when Jesus told his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, he's gonna give them power, here's what they would have heard because here's what Jesus was communicating. Hey, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and I'm gonna give you an ability to do something. See, the, the gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has one purpose, to give you the ability to do something. And some of you might say, well, well, what is that? What, what ability is he giving us to do? Well, Jesus says, he, he goes on to say to be my what? Witness, to be my witnesses. Ultimately, this tells us that the act of witnessing, and this is important, guys, the act of witnessing or leading people to Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit, not a work of man, not something that you and I can do on our own. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's a part. Remember, we just went, we talked about the first Greek preposition. The Holy Spirit chases you. He pursues you. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's, who's getting people saved. It's an act of the Holy Spirit, not an act of you, not an act of me. We can't win others in our own physical abilities. We can't do it. We need the Holy Spirit to give us that ability. Or if you would, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He said, witnessing to others without being empowered by the Holy Spirit is just giving a sales pitch. I'm going to say it again. Witnessing to others without being empowered by the Holy Spirit is just giving a sales pitch. So Jesus told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Then 50 days later, on on the day of Pentecost, while they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon them. (laughs) And what was the result? What was the result of the Holy Spirit coming upon them? Some might say, well, they spoke in tongues. That's what they did, Pastor Justin. That's what the text says. They spoke in tongues. Well, that's true. They did speak in tongues. But that was definitely not the end result. And hear me out. That was just an evidence that the Spirit of God had come upon them. The end result was this. That day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. I say that was the end result because remember Jesus told them the Holy Spirit would empower them or give them the ability to be witnesses, to lead others to believe in Jesus. So some of you are still probably confused with this whole, okay, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at it a little deeper. When when we put the Gospel of John and the book of Acts together, we see that ultimately the disciples were first filled by the Spirit. Filled by the Spirit. And then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So remember back when we read John 14, 17, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice the words will be though. Notice the words, will be. The Holy Spirit will be with you. This was future tense. In other words, at that point in time, the disciples were not yet filled with the Spirit. Jesus was promising them that one day the Holy Spirit would dwell in them, but at that particular moment, he was not yet in them. So that begs the question, when did they get filled with the Holy Spirit? When did that take place? The answer is in John chapter 20, verse 22. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now I agree with a lot of Bible teachers that it was at this moment, the disciples were experiencing the new covenant. Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that changed everything. Now we've got access to the Holy Spirit. Even though they had spent the last three and a half years following Jesus, they weren't yet spiritually regenerated because Jesus in John chapter 14 had not died for their sins and had not been resurrected from the dead. So keep in mind, in order to become a Christian, you've got to believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried in the tomb, and three days later he rose again, right? Right? So the language here, it's it's very reminiscent of Genesis chapter two, verse seven, where God breathed life into Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul. At this moment, they are now filled with the Holy Spirit. Then 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, came upon them and empowered the disciples with the ability to be bold witnesses. So here's what I'm saying today. When a person believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, at that very moment, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now that the Spirit of God dwells inside of them, he's changing them from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Additionally, the believer in Jesus is empowered to be witnesses of Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The the indwelling of the Spirit happens at conversion, whereas the empowering of the Spirit happens separately after conversion. Now, we just study this in Acts 8 when the apostles, when the apostle Peter and John hear that many of the Samaritans had already accepted Jesus, had already been baptized. What happens next? What do the apostles do after that? They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. However, while this experience is usually separate from salvation, it can happen during salvation as well. And that's what we have in our text today. So these Gentiles are experiencing salvation, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So Peter's preaching the gospel when all of a sudden, all of a sudden, what happens? While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. As a born-again Christian, you are spirit-filled. As a result, you are not in a position of trying to change yourself, but rather the Spirit of God is inside you and he's transforming you. Likewise, likewise, he wants to empower you with the ability to be his witnesses. So rather than trying to transform people from, from death to life in your own ability, because good luck with that, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you so that his power his ability is going to overflow in your life to reach them huh you know in his book about the holy spirit francis chan says this without the holy spirit people operate in human strength and only accomplish human size results if we want god sized results we need the power of the holy spirit we need the power of the holy spirit this is a gift for everyone for everyone and I want to start ending each service. The band can come back up. I want to start e- ending each service with reminding you that you're sent. I've been to a church where they do this. Before everybody leaves, the pastor prays over everyone and he just reminds them. I want to remind you you're sent. In fact, I've been to churches before where when you, drive out, when you walk out the doors, they have over the doors, you're now entering your mission field. And then as you pull out of their parking lot, they have a sign that says, you are now entering your mission field. I, I, I like it. I do. I like it a lot. Kind of want to start ending every single service with reminding you that you're sent. And I want to do this because some of Jesus' last words to his disciples in the Gospel of John were, were these. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, this is really important extremely significant statement coming at the end of John's gospel, because Jesus's primary identity in the gospel of John is the sent one. The sent one. All throughout the gospel, Jesus keeps referring to God as the Father who sent me. In fact, go home, read read through John, and circle the word sent anytime you see it. Anytime you see sent, just circle. It's in there more than 60 times. 60 times. And then in John chapter 20, in Jesus' final moments with his disciples, he passes on that identity to them. Today, here's what I want. I closed out really good. I got six and a half minutes left. Because I want to do something. I want all my ushers to pass these cards out. It's a card that has the word yes on it. I want every single person in the church to have one of these I know. It's just symbolic today. Just a card with the word yes on it. That's it. Because I want you to say yes today to God sending you. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are sent. And because God promises to all who say yes to him that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to come upon them, Acts 1.8, come on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Maybe maybe for somebody here today, maybe because you offer your yes at the altar today, a people group in North India without a witness to the gospel will hear about Jesus. Maybe because you offer your yes at the altar today, a foster family in need of a break can get the help they need to continue their ministry or you can become a safe family. Maybe because you offer your yes at the altar today, a prisoner ending his sentence can have a job and a faith community uh, when when he makes his way back into society. Or maybe because you you offer your yes today, refugees in your community will feel like they aren't alone in a strange land. Maybe today because you... you alter your yes, or offer your yes at the altar, the person you work with or someone in your class or your school is going to get the chance to hear about Jesus and experience the forgiveness of their sins and experience eternal life forever. I want, you to, I want you to get this today. The most frequent way that Jesus describes God the Father in the Gospel of John is the Father who sent me. It's the Father who sent me. As the Father has sent me, he says, I am sending you. Ushers, will you make your way forward and start handing out these cards? We are sent to others like Jesus was sent to us. And that's our motivation. If you're a Christian, the reason you're here, the reason you know God, the reason you have a hope and a future is because Jesus was sent for you. Jesus was sent for you. You are here because he didn't live the life of privilege he was entitled to. He emptied himself and became a servant to you. He washed your feet, took your shame, died on a cross to save and to redeem you. You owe him everything, and I mean everything. And now he says this to you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Be to others as I was to you. See, in our text today, we experience a filling with the Holy Spirit in two senses. Like I said in the beginning, first in the sense that he indwells and abides in every single believer. There are some of you today who have not said yes to Jesus. Today is your day. You can say yes to Jesus. And I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. And I don't even care if you, you responded to the altar call one day. I don't care what you did when you were in seventh grade at the Bible camp. Because again, I believe, I believe once you say yes to Jesus and it's sincere and genuine, it's irreversible. But some of you said yes and you, you didn't mean it. Today, if you have not said yes to Jesus, today is your day. The Holy Spirit has brought you here for this moment. If you are watching uh, on our live stream and you have not said yes to Jesus, today is your day. You can say yes. Stop running from the Holy Spirit. Stop running. It's like on a treadmill. Don't run from the Holy Spirit. Say yes today. So in the sense that he dwells and abides in every believer, second in the sense of a special empowering that's what we experience today. And I want you to understand that that's still available today. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you're not saved. And the moment somebody gets saved isn't necessarily, like I said, when they raise a hand or come forward in an altar call. It's when they surrender to God and embrace with trust in Jesus and the sincerity of their hearts. You can do that today. And then the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you today. If you've said yes to Jesus and you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's a gift for you today. And there's no, there's no formula for this. People have tried to put a pattern. They look at the book of Acts and they say, well, unless somebody lays hands on somebody. No, in all the different circumstances and situations, the formula is all mixed up. Here's, here's all you need for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, you just need to say yes to Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's a gift, a promise for everyone. We can't do this. If the church needed the power of the Holy Spirit back then, don't you think we need the power of the Holy Spirit today? We live in such a messed up, jacked world. It's just crazy. But I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than all of it. And he wants to use you. You are called. You are sent. So here's what I want to do. I think it'd be really cool. I don't want you to do it if you don't mean it. I only want you to do it if you mean it. But I want you to put your yes at the altar today. Because I, I wanna close this service out today with just recommitting this church and this vision to Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about Justin Hansen. Man, I hope I preach Jesus and one day I die and I'm long forgotten, but Jesus never is. I wanna, I wanna go back. I, I love looking at the history of this church and reading some of Pastor Hugh Rosenberg's notes when he wanted to plant this church. He wanted to make Jesus famous in Cincinnati and all around the world. That's still the vision. We want it to be all about Jesus, Jesus. And the only way we're going to do that, the only way we're going to make Jesus famous is if you offer your yes at the altar. That's how it's going to be. I, I want to just pray over all of our yeses. So here's what I want to do. On my left side, your right side, I want us to lay down our yes at the altar. I want us to make a bold declaration that this church belongs to Jesus, that we are servants of the Most High, and we are going to go out in obedience And hopefully the Holy Spirit's gonna fall upon all of us who need it today, and we're gonna go out these doors and we're gonna be missionaries. We're gonna proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's what we're gonna do. If you've never received, you've never had the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you say, well, how will I know? I'm gonna tell you how you're gonna know. I know the AG has, I know they say the evidence is tongues. I want, I want you to know this, though. The evidence of someone who's been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that they're going out and witnessing. That's the evidence. I'm not discrediting tongues. You heard me today. But I'm saying the evidence that somebody has been baptized in the Holy Spirit is they walk out those doors and they're a bold witness. That's it. So here's what I want. Our prayer team's gonna be, come up here to my right and we wanna pray over anybody who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've told my prayer team, just pray that, that's just that. Just that, let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, okay? And then all of us who wanna offer our yes, you're acknowledging God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for my life than I ever imagined or realized. And today I'm gonna make a bold declaration that my life belongs to Him. You're gonna lay your yes at the altar. And like I said, I don't know the magnitude of what today holds. Somebody in India might hear, your neighbor might hear, Holy Spirit's gonna move. When we surrender, the Holy Spirit moves. So I'm gonna close in prayer again. Offer your yes right here to my left, your right. You want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come to my right, your left. Father, this is all about you. We want you to be glorified. We want the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to be praised all throughout the world. We wanna see a difference in this community. You have placed us here for a reason. You have placed us right here strategically on Dixie Highway for a reason, to make an impact for the world. And it's not gonna be done through our programs, and maybe not even done probably through our big outreaches and not even necessarily through our big toy giveaway, but it's gonna be done through personal evangelism. That means we've gotta go out and invest into other people. So Lord, I pray today that as we surrender to you, that as we place our yes at the altar, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and we would receive the gift that you promised, that we would be, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and empower us to go out and make a difference in the world, in our workplace, with our neighbors, in, in the community, God, that you would be glorified through our lives, that we would have the boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's gonna take all the pressure on off of us because salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. So use us, God, as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.